you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode series, I'm reviewing Season 2 of Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg's Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access, now called Paramount+, Plus, hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology as well as full episode archives at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Finally, if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and pledge a minimum of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters, or you can pledge $5 for the exclusive RSS feed as well as commentary tracks and immediate reaction recordings that I do. And if you pledge $10, you get access to all of that and then early access to episodes and unreleased recordings. Again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. So today on the show, I'll be discussing Try Try. It's the ninth and penultimate episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, which premiered on June 25th, 2020 on CBS All Access, now known as Paramount+. Plus. And uh, yeah, this is a really good episode. I'm very excited to um, talk about it. And uh, I, I do have new equipment that I'm recording into, so if the audio is different, better, worse, whatever, let me know. Um, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, so uh, you can find more about that on Patreon and everything. So, yeah, so, um, this is the penultimate episode of the Twilight Zone. This reboot is dead. It's not coming back. So, um, this is technically the last time I'll be reviewing this episode or this series, this new Twilight Zone series, because I've actually already recorded and edited and prepped and everything. My, review of uh you might also like you might also like the 10th episode um that'll actually be popping up on the feed uh probably two days after you hear this episode so um yeah we're finishing up the twilight zone so that's exciting um before i get into my review and everything i'm going to just touch briefly on paramount plus um, I'm recording this on March 7th, and Paramount Plus launched on March 4th. Paramount Plus is the... It's okay. It's it's mostly a rebranding of CBS All Access, but it, they're including a lot of different um, Paramount properties, I guess. Like, they have... Like, they have a pretty sizable selection of stuff. They have Nickelodeon, MTV, Comedy Central, like, all the back catalog of that stuff. So, that's kind of cool. And the the user interface on it's pretty pretty neat. It's kind of reminiscent of Disney+, Plus, uh, the way that that's set up with the different channels. Um, and for that matter, um, uh, HBO Max. Um, so, so, it's neat. It's cool. Um, but I probably won't be subscribed to it after this month. Uh, which... 
actually, it's kind of neat because there is a 31-day free trial for new subscribers, apparently. So uh, go check it out if you want to. And then uh, you can revisit the Twilight Zone and uh, revisit my re- uh, reviews of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, all right, let's get into this episode. So, uh, again, this is episode nine, Try Try. I'm going to read a plot summary courtesy of the app for Paramount+. Plus. When the quick-witted Claudia has a chance run-in with Mark at a museum... He dazzles her with his seemingly miraculous abilities, but after the true source of his charisma is revealed, the encounter takes a dark turn. This episode stars Topher Grace as Mark. Uh, he was previously in, obviously, um, uh, That 70s Show and uh, Black Klansman, and he was also in an episode of Black Mirror. And uh, co-starring as Claudia is Kylie Bunbury. Uh, she was in When They See Us on Netflix and the short-lived, I believe, TV show on maybe Fox called Pitch. I, if memory serves, I think she played a, a a young woman who like gets uh, into the MLB. Um, she becomes a professional baseball player. And I think that show lasted one season and had like flashbacks to her upbringing and uh, how her father taught her how to pitch or something like that. I don't know. Writer for this episode was Alex Rubens, who was an executive producer on the show, and he also wrote um, A Human Face and Blurry Man and The Comedian. And director for this episode was Jennifer McGowan. She previously directed a movie called Rust Creek, which is about, uh, and uh, this is in 2018, it's about an overachieving college student gets lost on her way to a job interview. A wrong turn leaves her stranded deep in the Kentucky forest. So that sounds interesting. I haven't seen it, so um, I don't know. So those are the, that's the uh, cast and crew rundown for this episode. Um, So... My initial thoughts, um, first, by the way, spoilers on for Try Try, so I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode, so if you have not watched Try Try yet, uh, go check it out, um, and then come back and listen to this episode. So, spoiler warning, done, it's good, we're there, <laughs> um, and uh, okay, so spoilers on for Try Try. My initial thoughts for this episode is that, that I was pretty blown away by it. Um, it's a unique spin on Shadowplay. And it has this commentary on kind of the incel movement, which and like nice guys uh, trademark um, and different gender dynamics and and stuff like that, social settings, social uh, like dating essentially. And I I was very much into it, and it was very reminiscent of last season's uh, Not All Men and the way that that handled uh, the kind of the way that men and women interact socially. Um, not all men was a bit more, well, way more on the nose and uh, uh, kind of direct in that approach. And what I appreciate about, and I even, I liked not all men. I think I li- I liked it well enough, but try, try does that uh, handles that a lot better. In my opinion, it's, it's really cool. Um, and it's a lot more subtle and, um, indirect in, in its approach to it. So I really like that. Okay, so the episode opens up with close-ups of these indigenous masks that Claudia is working on her dissertation uh, dissertation on. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty overt symbolism about masks and disguising who we really are in, in social dynamics and everything. Like the way that Mark is 
presenting himself as the perfect guy when he's really a um a, a just a, a dangerous dangerous individual um so it's it's pretty overt it's pretty on the nose um but I don't mind it because it's not like it's not like it's pointing out exactly in dialogue or anything like oh this is this is uh, a mask that we all wear masks and everything it's just a visual kind of uh, symbolism in the episode. So I, I like that. So Claudia is uh, walking uh, up the stairs from the subway, I believe, and she's recording onto her phone. And okay, so real quick, this is just a nitpick. I'm, I've got to say it. Um, she, when she's talking into her phone, she's moving her hand a lot. Um, and like, I get it. She's an actor. She has a prop in her hand. She's, she's talking into it and everything. I get it. But like the podcaster in me was just thinking like all the wind from moving her hand, that's going to just affect the sound of, of the recording. And it's just, I don't know. It just really made me uh, cringe a little bit, but that's, it's not a reflection of anything in the episode. Just a, a, a ridiculous observation I made. Um, so as she's talking into the microphone she, or into the phone, she mentions that she wants to explore how the masks that she's, you know, doing her dissertation on make people feel. And then she says, uh, you can stand to let yourself feel things, Claudia. And I feel like that's that's an interesting like piece of exposition that's really um, I wouldn't say almost to a fault, but it's it's definitely subtle in that it is it's kind of hinting at at this moment you're you might be inclined to think that um, it's hinting at maybe a past breakup that she hasn't gotten over, or it's more notably uh, hinting at just too much work. Uh, she's a workaholic. She's she's done. She's doing too much uh, for her dissertation and everything, and she's not doing enough socializing. So that sets up her receptiveness toward Mark's kind of um, advances and everything. And that that's kind of laying the groundwork for what's to come. And then almost immediately after that. Um, there's there's a little bit of dialogue where she talks about like immortality and like reincarnation just kind of in as as an aside i think that that's just kind of a little nod to the concept of the episode and everything but uh immediately after that she almost gets creamed by a uh dingle moving truck <laughs> um of course dingle moving uh, is a reference to mr dingle the strong from the original series and we've previously seen the dingle moving boxes in a human face so i i like that they're kind of doing this uh, running thing there. It's it's a little bit better than... Oh, that was the... Okay. So last time on the podcast, I couldn't remember what the previous uh, use of Dingle was in the show. And I just remembered right now that it was in season one in... Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name of it. The episode with um, uh, Jennifer Goodwin. But uh, it was Dingle Ice Cream. Um, also they had that in the comedian as well. And like, that doesn't make any sense. Like Dingle moving company makes a lot more sense. So I appreciate them for doing that. Um, so he saves her, um, by pulling her off the curb as she's about to walk, uh, into the street in the way of the, uh, the truck. And there are a couple of very subtle things that Topher Grace does when he pulls her back. And I really, I really like this. Um, he immediately, he immediately says like, oh, watch out. And then he apologizes. He says, oh, sorry, sorry. And then as soon as she turns to look at him, he puts his hands up uh, to kind of deliberately communicate that he's non-threatening. And this is just a really neat kind of visual cue that like it's, it's subtle in the way that he is, 
we know in retrospect after after the fact we know that he is manipulating her and she he is kind of uh he's a very terrible person um so him doing that like uh on the first viewing you don't really think much of it you just you you may even uh have your defenses like lowered a little bit by by his uh by his physical his um what's the word i'm looking for his body language but in retrospect, when you revisit this episode, like it's like, oh, he's this he's already starting. He's already starting the manipulation and the and the uh um just entitlement or not entitlement, that that comes later, but he's just starting his uh his manipulating her into thinking that he is quote unquote the perfect guy. Um so as he walks away, uh she thanks him and says, like, oh, this could have been a bad day, and then he says, like, oh, the day's what you make it, and then she says into her phone, uh, which I thought this was kind of goofy or kind of cheesy, but she says uh, that she may have met her future husband. And, like, I thought it was kind of silly, but it shows the immediate attraction that she feels toward him. And I, I it's fine. Like, it's not, it doesn't detract from the episode, but I just thought that it was kind of, kind of a little, a little silly and impulsive um, to an extent. Because I think most of the the episode is him gradually building building up this connection that he um is orchestrating with her and to have her immediately say like oh he's my future husband seems just a little a little weird or it seems a little counterintuitive to the nefarious and malevolent actions of of mark cuz the episode is completely about mark orchestrating things so that he and Claudia can be together and can without her without her like knowledge or kind of consent in that sense um but to have her immediately say like oh he's my future husband that seems kind of a little off so the next scene they're in the museum lobby and he is paying for his ticket when he sees her come up and so he this is the start like this whole prologue is really well done in setting up this meet cute between Mark and Claudia because he says uh, he says like, oh, yeah, uh, also a ticket for Evil Knievel over there, kind of just starting this kind of cute back and forth between him and her. And she she protests and everything. And uh, he rationalizes it. I thought this was this was pretty cool or pretty good. Um, he was just like, oh, well, the transaction's already done. And um I mean, technically, if you take if you take it back, you're taking money from the museum, and you'd rob a museum. You're you're a monster. I th- I just thought that that was cute, and like the way that the scene progresses as they're going through the uh, museum in this prologue is that they play the play up this awkward attraction really well. Like Topher Grace and um oh god, I gotta scroll up um <laughs> and Kylie Bunbury are just really. Uh, they have such really good chemistry, and also the dialogue is just really above and beyond. I think um, it really has the feeling of dipping into like a just genuine like romantic comedy scenario. And I got I've got to believe that that is completely um, intentional because this is this awkward attraction that they have, and the the meet cute that they have in this prologue is obviously different from what's to come but it's also just 
really, really well done. It, it, they really sell that kind of cute banter that they have. And it kind of progresses as Mark finds her talking into her phone and he makes little cute jabs about how, um, she's being pretentious or, or, uh, and then he talks, he starts talking about the book that he has and he's like, Oh, I'm out pretentiousing you. And they kind of spin that idea of them being pretentious in the museum into this cute banter. And in, in doing that, they, it, it just really works for me. I don't know. Something about it just really works for me. So then Mark recites a quote that she knows, and she like is very much uh, smitten by and uh, or appreciative of. It's someone's quote at when giving a speech at the Nobel, I think is what he said. And up front, that's charming and it's interesting. But once you know the plot, it's just deeply disturbing and manipulative because everything that he does is... Um, the outcome of countless tests that he did and tries that he had. And it's just, it's so, it's so good. I really love this conceit for this episode, um, which I'll talk more as the uh, plot develops. So then Mark shows her masks and that's when the watch beeps. And that's, this is probably like six or seven minutes into the episode. And this is the first time we get an inkling to what the Twilight Zone element of the episode is, which I found really interesting because it just held back that because it was so contingent on building up this attraction, this chemistry between these two, these two characters before, you know, um, bringing it, bringing in the, the Twilight Zone aspect of it. So his watch beeps and he catches the water bottle that the kids throw that would have hit, um, Claudia in the head and that's our first inkling of the plot and again I just love how mysterious it all is and how slowly this Twilight Zone element to the story is unfurled because we still don't even at this point it's still a considerable amount of time it's nearly halfway through the episode I think where we actually start to learn like the time loop aspect of it so that's it's really interesting and then we get the uh, music playing and everything and then we get Jordan Peele's opening narration which I will play right now. You might say that Claudia King has found herself on a kind of blind date. One set up not by friend, family, or co-worker. This is a match neither made in heaven nor the internet, but in the far darker web of the Twilight Zone. And I like this opening narration. It's brief, and I don't really have much to say about it. Um, It plays up the dating aspect of it and how this episode will become about dating dynamics and and gender dynamics and everything within dating. Um, And uh, yeah, that's about all I have for that. (laughs) Um, It's it's a really, it's a solid opening narration. I I liked it. Um, So we come back from the opening credits and Mark is talking, uh, Mark and Claudia are walking through the museum and Mark is talking about the, about New York, how he misses New York and the Museum of Natural History. And it's interesting because this line where he's like, oh, it just makes me think of New York. Like that feels so, um, to the episode's credit, it feels so put upon. Like it feels so out of, not out of left field, but it feels like he is reaching for a topic he's he's struggling like he's not struggling to make a connection but he is making a a quick connection um or like he's making a leap in the conversation because it just seems like out of place like suddenly he's talking about new york because it's because he is uh kind of orchestrating the conversation but 
here's something that I found also very interesting is that he mentions when talking about the Museum of Natural History, you've got to assume that he is leading up to talking about the canoe, and then that's when he's going to talk about, or that's when he's going to kind of get her into the canoe and everything, which I'll get to in a second. But at this moment, he mentions a specific part of the museum, something about a mound of dirt, I think. And that's when Claudia says that it was hers, her favorite part of the museum, too. And what I found interesting about this interaction is that this is where Mark first slips up. And he says, how is it that you still surprise me? And that's meaning that the that this exchange wasn't scripted by him. It's And I found it interesting because um, this is at, this is our first, like, like, it's the first time he slipped up and it's a scene that's opening the door a little bit more for the audience on the twilight zone element of the episode. And it's just, it's just the fact that it's a moment where Mark isn't in control. I just found that kind of interesting in, in a way um, because we're along for the ride just as Claudia is. And we are getting little snippets here and there, but the biggest one so far is him slipping up, but we still don't know the context of it. So I don't know. I just found that, found that pretty interesting. Um, and then she realizes like, Oh shit, I don't know this guy's name <laughs> and asks him. Um, and he says his name is Mark with a C and this is an episode that just rewards multiple viewings. Absolutely. Because when you go back, um, and, and watch it again. It's just you you pick up on so many like just disturbing little bits of the conversation. Now, of course, the mark with a C thing will be called back later in the episode, but in this moment when you when you replay it and rewatch it, um, it's just it's so it, there's such a level of disturbing to this moment because we're to infer that he had a conversation with her about the name Mark and he got the information about her thinking that the C and Mark was sexy. And this, I mean, this is confirmed later in the episode as he's, as he's kind of coming clean about everything. Um, but just going like seeing this moment where he mentions Mark, he's Mark with a C it's just, it's so disturbing how he's planned this moment specifically to get her to open up to him about that uh, and to associate him with a crush that she had when she was a kid. It's just, there's such a skeeviness to it. And just a, like, this is maybe not the start of his manipulation, but it is, it is the furtherness furthering of his manipulation of her in this episode. It's just, it's just really just skeevy and, and unsettling and, or disturbing. And so as they're continuing on through, uh, through the museum, um, this is when he starts to, and we start to realize like he's going to uh, let her in on what's going on essentially, or maybe maybe that's not the case. So he essentially shows um shows her his power a little bit by offering her gum, and this is where this is where in the narrative things are starting to slide from the meet cute to the hint of derangement that's to come. So it I just found it um, kind of. I don't know. It was it was interesting and um, mysterious is the word I'm looking for, um, because he's just like, oh, do you want a piece of gum? And then the guy drops the gum right there. So it's starting to just show like there's something amiss and everything. But thinking about it through Claudia's perspective, she is someone who is kind of having it having a connection with this guy. And then suddenly she's realizing like, oh, there's more to this guy that is potentially dangerous like at this point i don't know if she would necessarily think he's dangerous and like specifically at this point but there's something just super weird and out there about you know 
knowing when a guy's going to drop his gum. So, um, so that's the first hint of derangement that that's to come and everything. So he convinces her to then, he then convinces her to get in the canoe with him. And this again, everything, like when you rewatch this episode, everything that he does, is filtered through this, um, this danger and, um, manipulation because, him convincing her to get into the canoe with him, like he prefaces it by saying, like, it's a replica, it's it's fine. And she's like, well, yeah, I know that it's a replica. If, if it wasn't, I would stop you. But he's so adamant about the, the security guard not turning around and everything, but him convincing her to get in the canoe is a calculated thing where it's it's dangerous, so there's a little bit of danger there to kind of heighten the adrenaline and everything. But it also brings this intimacy into their encounter because they eventually like lay down in the canoe and are very close to each other and it's just it's so just disturbing i i love that it's it's just it's such a disturbing kind of uh manipulation tactic on his part so while they're in the canoe they almost kiss but she stops and asks to know his trick because she she says you have a secret and you have to tell me before any funny business um so they that's when they get out of the canoe and um and he starts to he's takes her off to to come clean about it. There's a close-up shot when they get out of the canoe where uh it's a close-up shot of his book and like a belt or something. I don't know what what that was, but um this doesn't come into play like at all. Like there's there's some close-ups to the books that he has cuz each each day he has a different book. Um but I don't really know why the camera focused so much on, on the book in the canoe because it never came back into play or anything. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was kind of just a little off. But um, I will say that I really like the music in this episode overall. But in this scene specifically, when they're getting out of the canoe, I thought it was really, uh, really good um, in terms of just showing, like, I, I can't really describe the music itself, but it kind of do, goes a long way to gradually shift the tone of the episode because this episode overall starts out with like i said this extended like meet cute that they have that is right out of like a romantic comedy um and then it just transitions into this dangerous and violent encounter at the end so um it's it's definitely playing with that tone a lot and the music just subtly shifts it shifts us toward it so i i really appreciated the uh um, the, the music in this episode. So he's still kind of, um, playing coy about his, about his trick and everything and his secret. And she playfully threatens to kick his ass if he doesn't tell her his secret, which I thought was, it was cute. It was an, it was a neat piece of foreshadowing. I, I thought it was, it was a good, a good line to foreshadow, uh, the end encounter. But at, at this point, I don't know what, I think we're maybe, 15, 20 minutes into this episode, and it's a 42-minute episode, and this is when Mark tells her the truth, um, but he's still pretty coy about it, and it's just, I I really appreciate um, Kylie Bunbury's uh, performance here, because he he's saying these things that's just really off-putting like he says you haven't met me but i've met you and that alone is just super unsettling and like uh just really creepy um 
and then he goes on to kind of say like i know everything like i'm i'm you know an authority uh on on today he says that later um but he goes into this whole spiel about how he and he and Claudia are the same on a deep level and that they're lucky in life but instead inside they're caged um they're they're stuck in a cage essentially and they're trying to find a way out of the cage and it's interesting that this can be seen as him trying to appeal to her attraction toward him before letting loose the truth um but on a kind of more deeper level, it's all about the power dynamic. Um, he, in this situation, is holding every card in this interaction, and he is in complete control of her and their encounter, in a sense. And so, it, it's just, it's so disturbing to me, because everything is calculated from him. And so, he kind of pushes it a little bit too far, and he starts talking about her attraction toward assholes. And I felt like this crosses an extended line because he's now speaking specifically about her feelings and emotions. And it comes across and is intentionally so, or is uh, the implication is that he is continuing an intimate conversation that she had with him on one of the previous versions of the day. But this version of Claudia wasn't a part of it. So in that sense, by him talking about like, oh, you're attracted, you you're attracted to assholes, but you're not really attracted to assholes. You're just attracted to confident people. So you're attracted pe- with people with confidence, and in that sense, it feels like it's a violation of her privacy, and it's even invasive toward her on an intimate level because, to an extent, she didn't consent to this type of, you know, intimacy in talking about her emotional baggage essentially um and it's just it's really it it comes across as kind of invasive and uh cutting corners with her in in a sense it's just it's really interesting and another thing that i found really uh unique um in this i'm trying to i'm trying to not say interesting (laughs) that much but the next uh kind of the next line when he's still being coy about it Uh, he talks about the piece of art that they're in front of. And it's this giant bird that's um, on top of a clam that has animals like stuck in it or hiding in it. And he says that the piece of art that they're sitting in front of is his favorite. And he talks about how the dominance and power of the bird over the animals is just really uh, awe-inspiring to him or, or what have you. And what I really liked was Claudia says that it's the exact opposite. Like the bird is saving them and like, okay. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward display of them having completely different interpretations of this piece of art. And it's showing like they're real, like who they are as people like Claudia sees that the bird is saving, saving them. And he sees that it's a power of uh, a show of dominance and force for the bird. Um, So it's pretty, it's pretty overt. It's pretty uh, surface level, but what I really like was that this is a point where Mark, his his kind of mask, his this facade of nice guy trademark um, is slipping and everything. And that, that's a really interesting, like, again, a little creak of the door, a little um, opening of the doorway um, into his psyche, into the doom or the uh, the threat that's a that's kind of forming within him toward her um, slowly. I just think that this the pacing and the 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 structure of the tension throughout the episode is just really, really well done. So 
then she says he's starting to freak her out, but she doesn't say you're starting to freak me out exactly because she prefaces it by saying that everything that he's saying, she's on board with. Like, she's like everything, everything you're saying, like I'm, I'm into it. This is, this is great. Um, but you're also freaking me out. And I found that really interesting as social commentary on a very subtle level, because I don't know how intentional it is, but it feels like, it, I think that there's an argument to be made that this is a subtle commentary on kind of gender dynamics. Like the woman in the situation has to preface her comment about being freaked out uh, by this man's behavior by reassuring the man that what he's saying is working. And the implication is that, you know, like a woman can't say something negative to a man without like prefacing it by, you know, ruining or, or by softening the blow because the implication is that he, the man might, you know, uh, act out against her or, or be angry or what have you. It's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, kind of social commentary in this, in this scene, I think, uh, just a very subtle, like blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. I, I really, uh, I, I liked that part of it. Um, so he goes on to talk about how, He's been working on this date for I don't even know how long. The number of tries is in the triple digits by now. And that this moment when I first saw this episode, just the the gears turned and everything clicked together and it kind of blew my mind. I loved this because this is the reveal that this is a time loop story. And one of my favorite episodes of the original series of the episodes that I've covered is Shadow Play from season two. And what I love, it's it's so fascinating and fantastic to me that this episode of The Twilight Zone takes the concept of Shadow Play and flips it on its ear. So in Shadow Play, we go through a single loop of the story and we go through it entirely through Adam Grant's perspective as the person in the time loop. And he's on death row. He's about to be executed and everything. And this is just one loop of his, like, looping time loop. <laughs> Endless loop. And in Try Try, we go through a single loop of the story, but it's on the outside of the looper's perspective. And I just, I love that. I, I love that so much. It presents this time loop aspect as a mystery. And by doing that, it's it's taking us into the perspective of a bystander or a victim of the time loop person. Um, and that makes the entire like concept of the time loop be completely superfluous to the story, because this is the story of Claudia meeting Mark and realizing that Mark is dangerous and trying to escape Mark or get away from him. And if we had wasted more time with just setting up like, oh, how many, like, like the, the Mr. or the, um, the tension of the time loop aspect. Like he's not a tortured person in the time loop. He's just a very severely damaged and deranged person from the time loop, but trying to correct the time loop never becomes part of the story. And I just, I think that that's really an interesting way to, uh, to present this, um, this, this, um, concept for the episode. So she kind of, she kind of continues a little bit of the flirtation stuff. Um, and she's very, 
quick-witted with him in a cynical way and basically in no uncertain terms kind of reveals that she doesn't really believe him about it. So he rapid fires facts about her and, uh, and he intersperses it with facts about the people around him and, and the day and everything. And while he's going through this, the camera just kind of spins around with them um, in the frame. And I really like it cause it's very disorienting. And this is where she gets like overtly freaked out, like completely, um, freaked out and calls him out on it. And, um, she says, he says that the, the being stuck in a time loop isn't so bad. I can basically do whatever I want. And I, I love that in the way that it's disturbing. Cause again, it's just showing that he lives in a world without consequences. And, with that, with no consequences, that means he is much more dangerous than really anyone else in this museum. Um, but what I also thought was interesting is he says it's a life without consequences and a life out of the cage. And I thought that that was really uh, kind of an interesting, um, not callback, but an interesting mirror of their conversation about the art with the bird because he sees his time loop as being outside the cage when it's kind of obviously the opposite, like the entire idea of being stuck in a time loop um, confines him to the parameters of a cage of a single day um, on an endless loop. But he sees it as a life out of the cage because he has complete control, no consequences. He can manipulate things to his liking. And that's just such a dangerous and disturbing mindset that um, I really appreciated. So then as she's kind of questioning, questioning him about it, um, she says that she's having trouble wrapping her head around it, uh, around something. And then he interrupts her and says, there's some, like he, he says that, um, he has thought about it a lot. He's had a ton of time to think about it. And some puzzles just aren't meant to be solved. And this is Mark mistakenly thinking that her confusion is about the concept of the loop. And again, it's, it's interesting. This is kind of a, a jab or a subtle um, commentary about mansplaining, which is a term that I'm, I, I don't know, I'm back and forth on. Um, I talked about it in my Not All Men review um, because they brought up mansplaining in that, and it was more just over surface level. But here, like, this is this is just a really interesting, like, depiction of it and everything, I'll, I'll say. Um but it really brings to mind something that I really like about this episode, that confusion, because he says like the line saying that there are some puzzles that aren't meant to be solved can be kind of a kind of throwaway kind of line with um, in context of, of the full episode. But what I really like about that and what I like about the episode as a whole is that there's really nothing special or unique about her specifically about Claudia in relation to the time loop. Like, he's not pursuing her because she's the key to getting himself out of the loop. Like, at the end of the episode, they kind of talk about that, and it's kind of dismissed a little bit, but he's still, like, he's not doing it because he needs to get out of the time loop. He is doing it because he's attracted to her, and um, he likes her, and he's he feels this sense of ownership over her and a sense of entitlement for her affection for several reasons, but, uh, because he's done this every day for like thousands of days. And it's just, it's really refreshing to see a science fiction concept like this just be 
not cast aside, but just be in the background. Like this is the this is the concept of the episode, but what we're telling is a story about these two characters and the derangement of one character and uh the other character escaping that derangement. And it's just it's a really interesting uh way to present the concept of the episode. And so now that he's explained the concept and everything and that she's wise to the situation, the time loop stuff instantly loses its charm, like by design. I and I I love the goofiness of this to an extent. So he does this bit where he is basically doing this um uh this comedy routine in like an uh, not atrium but a room where a security guard has his back to him and he picks up a paddle and he starts dancing with it and everything and pantomiming with it and it's an interesting like uh just reversal of the tone of uh, like the water bottle scene, the gum scene, the canoe stuff earlier in the episode. It's like the antithesis, antithesis of those scenes because now that we know like what he's up to and like how fractured he is or how deranged he is, I keep using that word, but how deranged he is, like we can see like, okay, this stuff is not charming. <laughs> like it's not a meat cute anymore. Like this is sliding into dangerous territory. And a big part of that is obviously pre- presenting him playing with the paddle and everything is, is silly on its surface, but it's just an interesting antithesis to those other scenes and everything. And, uh, she's freaking out. She's saying like, you need to put it back. It's an artifact. It's important to people. And then he's just like, he's showboating. Um, but it's just for his enjoyment. Like this is like, this isn't to manipulate her or anything. It's just, it's his pure enjoyment. And it's just, it says so much about that character and his derangement and everything. Um, and she, her not being receptive to it just shows that she now sees him for what he is. And it's, it's, he's an emotionally manipulative predator to her. And it's, it's, uh, really interesting. And then he goes, it, he grossly violates her personal space by paddling her on the butt. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating and really well done because he pats it, he pats her butt and then she spins around and kind of gasps and jumps back a little bit in a defensive posture. And then he says, uh, see, he immediately says, see, I knew you wouldn't mind that. I just know you so well. And it's just he has no sense of boundaries and his ability to read his her discomfort um, is just it leads really well into this transition into derangement from like, uh, oh, I think I just met my future husband to, oh, my God, I'm going to need to get out of this out of this situation. Um, it's just it's really it's really great. And that like that was a, kind of a, a little bit of a shock, like him uh, hitting her with the paddle. It's just like. That, like I said, it's it's a gross violation of her personal space, um, and also even more shocking is again that inability to read uh, the discomfort that she has toward uh, toward him in that moment. And so he then says that he's kind of the perfect guy, and again, this is this is where the episode is is getting inching more and more toward the commentary about like incel community and and nice guy ism and everything which is something i find just incredibly um cringy and ridiculous and and dumb dumb beyond 
beyond all uh, hope. Um, so he's talking about uh, he's how he's the perfect guy, and we see flashes of his previous days or his previous tries. And specifically, we see different versions of the truck, and one of them he accidentally gets her killed, um, which I thought was was pretty interesting. And then the other version of of the flashes that come a couple uh, like a couple moments later are him trying out different names for the masks, which that's that's fine. But she calls him out and says that you've been tricking me this whole time, and he kind of like he he says no, you don't understand. This is all for you. Um, it's all about you, and that's just that just makes it so much more disturbing. Like it's the needle toward his derangement is just slowly moving, uh, in that direction. And it's just, it's really well, well done. The, the tension building in this and it escalates. The conversation keeps escalating. And he, uh, she asks like, why are you doing this? And he says, because I love you. And, it's just, it's really interesting because we're seeing this version of the day for the first time, obviously, just like Claudia. So we're seeing this happen through Claudia's perspective. And we're meant to infer, and we know from this, that he is being totally honest, um, presumably for the first time, about everything in this version of the day. And But the reason that he's being totally honest is... um. Not because, not for any like, like nice reason. <laughs> it's because he wants to be with her for real. Like he wants all of her, and uh, he has this idea, and he says that he that we belong together. And it's just like this moment just cements this that this episode is essentially every teenage love lore nice guy ism distilled into a twilight zone episode and for me honestly this is working like gangbusters it is it is so engaging and the commentary is so like well done in my opinion that i'm just i'm i love this um because it's not like attacking or it's not i wouldn't say it's not uh, i don't know if i would say it's not attacking like i keep saying like nice guy ism but like just asshole entitlement uh people but it is more just shining a light on the behavior of people and the mentality of like the incel community, like, you know, and misogyny and everything. Um, and just showing it for what it is. It's a harmful, uh, corrosive personality trait. And, uh, it's just, it's really well done in my opinion. So she's getting more like, you know, indignant and everything, <laughs> And starts and calls him out for being manipulative. And he says, th- this is when he says that uh, the reason that he's in the time loop doesn't matter. What matters is his feelings for her and that they, that they belong together. And again, it's just, it's really a well done commentary, but I, it's interesting how he can't accept or understand that she doesn't reciprocate. Like he doesn't care because everything that he sees is filtered through his perspective on how much they are meant to be. So even though she doesn't reciprocate those feelings, he doesn't care because those are like his feelings toward her supersede any feelings that she doesn't reciprocate. So it's just, it's this really just fucked up, frankly, uh, dynamic that it's just really well done in this episode. And honestly, and I I don't know, like, I'm really curious if anyone watched this episode and thought like, oh, you know, Mark is right. Like, Mark has a point. Um, 
Because honestly, like if anyone did that, you're objectively wrong. Like that's it's just wrong. Um, and it's even like it keeps doubling down. Every line of the of the conversations that they have kind of double down in this in these moments. Because she says, like, she tells him, I don't feel comfortable right now. And then he dismisses that and says, like, wow, there's not, there's no romantic moment that you can't ruin. And it's just, it's just amazing to me because he's unable to recognize her position in the, in the situation. And he's not even cognizant of his role in making her feel this way. And in, in a sense, it kind of goes beyond like a mere God complex plot. Like he's not orchestra like he's not showcasing his power um or he's not like using it for i don't i'm stopping short of saying for personal gain personal wow personal gain <laughs> but it's i i don't know it, it's more it feels more malevolent and insidious than that in a sense because it is targeting a one specific person and he is trying to manipulate his way into the heart of one specific person it just feels like that that feels just deranged and everything. And then he says the classic, classic, classic line. Um he says, You're lucky I'm nice. And <laughs> nice guys. I just God, it's a phenomenon that I am it it's just it's insane. It's insanity to me. Um but Anyway, so he says, you're lucky I'm nice. And she's like, well, what does that mean? And I, I just, I don't know. I love the writing of this scene because he tries to rationalize this threatening behavior that he has. Like this, he says, you're lucky I'm nice after he's whined about how he did everything right. I told you the truth. I came clean. I told you everything. And um, I've, I told you I love you before and you've said it back to me on previous days, but it didn't work this time, even though I did everything right. It's just, it's so, like I said, insidious behavior. It is just, it is derangement and self-delusion that is just so well done. Like Topher Grace knocks this scene in this episode out of the park, I, I think. And and so does uh uh Kylie Bunby Bunbury. Um they they're both they're both amazing um in this episode. And so uh he starts he starts kind of uh trying to rationalize his behavior and saying that like, Oh, this, these whole concepts of good and bad and everything like who's who, why do you think that all power really is bad? Because there it's all just a value system. And she, I, I love this kind of the way that she just kind of totally shuts down and cuts down his argument. And she's like, she just says, stop with the freshman philosophy. This isn't about a value system. All we are is what we do. So stop acting like a fucking creep. And I just, I, I, I love that. Um, and I love the way that she just explains, she goes on to explain in very clear and direct terms that the tries that he had and the attempts that he, the practice that he did wasn't with her. So this presents this interesting kind of, um, uh, disparity in their, their situation essentially. So he has built up this relationship or this bond or this connection that they have over the course of thousands and thousands of days. And she is just someone who just met this guy. <laughs> um, so it's just this, the power dynamic, the emotional dynamic between them is so lopsided. 
And he even goes on to say, or he may have already said it in the in the timeline of the episode, but he says, um, I've I've changed myself for you. Like and that just blows my mind in a sense. Like that is just so creepy because he like everything that he's done, like this version of him that we're seeing is a vastly different version of Mark than the first one that was in the time loop, presumably. So him saying that he has changed himself, like he's read the, read the books and everything. He's read up on the, um, the stuff that she likes and everything. She's, he's learned, um, her points of interest and everything specifically to manipulate her. So he is presenting himself in a version of himself. That's not himself. Um, he has a mask, (laughs) um, uh, just to manipulate her. It's just so fucked up and, and, uh, well done in my opinion. And then we get the, a big turning point in this moment in, in this episode. So she's, she explains to him like, I'm another human being. Like you understand that, right? Like I am another human being. And he just dismisses that and says, well, sort of. And he goes on to rationalize and saying like, well, you know, when I wake up, when I go to bed and wake up, like there's going to be another you, like, you're not going to exist. There's just going to be another version of you. And he says in just this really creepy, casual way, he says, um, or he doesn't say it, uh, like he he's implying that he can get away with anything. And she says that it could justify anything if you keep that line of thinking. And this is when he says this super chilling thing. He says, even if I killed you, there will be another one, another you here tomorrow. And it's just, it's so so creepy and unsettling like it is it is like i said a turning point in the episode and then he also just kind of like this is this is a great moment because you can see the gears turning in his head like he is he's thinking like i i could i could do this i could push this even further and and actually kill her and i wouldn't have any consequences and then as she's talking to him, he kind of flips out a little bit. He's like, no, let's change the subject. Let's change the subject. It's just, it's really, it's really just creepy. Um, the way that, uh, it plays out. And I mean, God, I, I love Topher Grace in this episode. I really highly recommend that you guys check out black Klansman cause he plays David Duke and he plays, he plays him as this sociopath and, um, uh, just this charming evil person. And he does, he, he uh, plays that role really well. It's, it's really great. So he starts chasing her and it, this moment's okay. Like he's chasing her around. He's taunting her. It's, it's kind of hokey. It's, it's a little like it, it drags the episode just, just a tiny bit um, because it just feels a little bit, I don't know. It, it seems a little bit manufactured, not maybe not manufactured, maybe manufactured isn't the right term, but it kind of reminds me of like the chase scenes in blurry man um, last season, which was also written by Alex Rubens. But, um, in blurry man, uh, uh, she's running through the set and everything. And it's just kind of, it it was kind of, it seemed like it was just faux tension essentially. And here it's kind of the same thing. Like they're running around, he's chasing her. It just seems like the, the episode has built up so much goodwill in the dialogue and the tension built within that dialogue that to have them just become this chase scene through this through this museum is just kind of i don't know it just didn't really feel like it connected as well uh as the rest of the episode had and so they kind of have a scuffle and she takes his watch 
and I, I kind of I kind of like that. It's it's kind of um, it was a, it was an interesting moment because she takes a watch and then he's just like, oh no, my magic watch, and he just explains like that has not like that's not going to do anything. It's just my cheat sheet. It's it's fine. Um, so then they've they've run and they've they've chased been chasing uh, he's been chasing her and everything, and that's when uh, she's like, well, I'm going to have to kick your ass. Um, then and or he goes into this whole spiel about how he's going to like everything is going to reset and he's just going to do this um again tomorrow or, or what have you and she says well i'm going to have to kick your ass every single time then then there's kind of an act break and we get we get the start of like oh they're going to fight um <laughs> and I, this, there's a line that I just, I thought was really, really cool. Um, because they're about to start, like, like she's, she's, you know, building up her energy to, to fight him and everything. And she says, like, very sheepishly, she says, um, I'm going to kick your ass into yesterday. And he undercuts that by just saying, well, you sound super confident about that. And then he starts to, he's revealing, like, his true self, essentially. And he talks about how, um, I'm a man, I dominate and everything. Men dominate. That's just the way that the world works and everything. And it's it's the incel movement essentially. And it's just I I love I love that. Like I love how it just it just shows how just uh dangerous and and uh deranged that thinking is and the entitlement of it and the threat from it is just really good for the tension of the scene in, in general. Like this combination of like, well, I, I have feelings for you. So I, I'm owed this, like you owe me whatever I want because I'm a man and I dominate. Um, it's just, it's really, really good at, at creating and escalating the tension of the episode. Um, the tension of the scene that's been mounting the whole episode. And again, this is just a really interesting companion episode to Not All Men um, from season one. It's just, it's an interesting kind of uh, juxtaposition of those two episodes, or those two episodes uh, complement each other really interestingly. Um, and so the the fight is about to start, and this again is kind of hokey and kind of weird. Um, he puts on a mask and he takes a weapon. Everything that he says is super creepy and 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 threatening and everything, but just... The way, like him wearing the mask, it just seems a little goofy and out of place, I think. Um, he's kind of monologuing like a villain, which, whatever. So, um, as he's talking, she punches him in the face. <laughs> and it's it's so satisfying to see her just beat the shit out of him. Like, the production, it feels like the the show just made the the sound effect of her punching his face land so much so heavy in the soundtrack like it is it is louder than you would expect and it just creates this very satisfying thing because you know she's escaping this this just deranged person and then again kind of hokey the the guards kind of come up and like not to save the day but it's just like they're waiting in the wings and oh she's 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 beat him up so um we're going to go to her rescue now. It's just, it felt a little awkward. Um, and as he's being kind of dragged away, he's like, you're not going to remember today. And I'm going to come after, come after the other, the next Claudia tomorrow. And uh, like, when I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to come after her and I'm going to, I'm going to come after her again and again and again. Um, 
and everything. And it's just like this this impotent rage or this impotent threat from him because he has been completely dismantled and, and cut down. And that's when like her only response is to punch him again. And then he's, she says that uh, she thinks that they'll be able to handle themselves. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. That was a good like button on that scene of the, the big confrontation scene. And so the episode is reaching its end because um, we see the next day and we see her on the, um, or we see him on the curb or on the, on the sidewalk, like looking at her, glancing over at her as she's about to cross the street. And he doesn't approach her and we see confirmation that she didn't need him to save her from the truck because she was never going to get hit by the truck, obviously. And, uh, that was just a manufactured thing early in the episode. And it's just, it's interesting to see that she got through to him. Like that leaves it on a pretty, um, I don't know, uh, optimistic note, I guess. Um, in, in a sense. So I thought that was, that was interesting. And, uh, so then we get Jordan Peele's closing narration, which I will play right now. Claudia King will, like most of us, proceed directly to a lifetime of tomorrows, leaving Mark Wheeler to spend an eternity in a prison of his own design. The inability, no matter how many tries he's given, to see beyond himself. An endless loop of solitary confinement here in the Twilight Zone. And that's the end of the episode. I really like the closing narration. Um, I like how I, I like how brief and succinct it is, but also I really like the like how it um, likens Mark's situation to being in a prison, like him being uh, spend eternity in a prison of his own design and an endless loop of solitary confinement. I feel like that's a, a, a nice little nod to shadow play because I was set in a prison and everything. Um. So overall, I like I. Overall, I I think that this episode is one of the strongest of season two. I still think that a uh, a small town is my favorite, um, but I think that this would be a very close second. It's just it's a really great um, great episode, great message, of subtlety in it that um, that I feel worked really well, and just the the tone or the the pacing of it and the escalation of the tension. Um, and the shift in tone from meet cute to, to, uh, thriller, uh, was really good. Um, I just, I really, really liked this episode. So those are my thoughts on try, try. Let me know what you guys thought of this episode. You can, uh, obviously send me a message on Facebook or send me an email at mad at And, uh, yeah, so that'll do it for this episode next time like i said earlier in a couple of couple of days probably um you'll see the next episode of the of the podcast pop up it'll be my review of the final episode of season two of the twilight zone and also the final episode of the twilight zone 2019 <laughs> like the, this version of the twilight zone because it was canceled um that was recorded like i said in june of last year so um there might be some interesting like uh, discrepancies there or what have you. I'm not sure, but uh, just kind of keep that in mind. Um, yeah. So we're going to close out the, uh, the season um, of this bonus, these bonus reviews. And then finally, finally 
I'm going to get to season three of the original series. So um, thank you guys so much for sticking with me as I work through these bonus episodes and everything and uh, through all the hiatuses and everything. So I'm super excited to get back to uh, the original series. Uh, Once again, this episode is uh, recorded on a new uh, piece of equipment. So let me know if the audio quality is is good, improved, or what have you. Um, Super excited about it and... uh, Really excited to do more podcasting with it. So um, that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Um, check out my other shows, Obsessive Viewer and Tower Junkies. And also check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, next time I'll talk about... Um, uh, God. <laughs> uh, you might also like. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, speaking of Disney+, Plus, though, I have been watching WandaVision, and that'll be kind of the science fiction stuff that I talk about here in this episode. Um of This Patreon episode. So, WandaVision, I'm six episodes in... And man, I love this show so much. I know that it's already aired all the episodes and that everyone's already seen them and everything. So I'm behind on it. I'm going to try to get Mike on for Obsessive Viewer to talk about it um, soon, this week, hopefully. But it's, oh, it's so good. It's so, so freaking good. I love that this is the MCU just going just super weird and super out there. Um, I, I, I love that for it. And in particular, um, episode four is, uh, to put it, to put it delicately without spoiling it, episode four kind of takes us out of the concept of the, of the show. So the concept is Wanda and Vision are in a sitcom environment and every episode is like another decade of a sitcom so the first one is uh it's a, like a 50s set sitcom the next episode is 60s 70s 80s so forth so the fourth episode breaks that mold and shows us what's going on outside of the limitations of that sitcom formula and concept and like i was just so overjoyed by it because um, first, there's some returning characters from the MCU that pop up in that episode, which I really enjoyed. But also because they present it, they present this like anomaly um, as they're kind of investigating it. They're looking, they're discovering what's going on, or they're trying to discover what's going on with the uh, with essentially what's going on. And the way that it's presented plays out so much like it's it's like the MCU riffing on the Twilight Zone or the X-Files, and I adore it for that. I just, I, I think, like, it just, it felt, it filled my heart with so much joy. I really loved it. Um, so I'm, I'm six episodes in. Um, it's going some very interesting places. Um, Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. 
If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.